That's what we're going to focus on today, a church to call home. And I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Joshua. Joshua, we're going to read chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, and you're going to hear the most famous home verse in the entire country. Joshua 24, verses 14 to 15. I wouldn't doubt if this is hanging on your wall somewhere as we speak. Let's listen to God's word. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So a few months ago, my brother shared a link with me from Realtor.com. It was a listing of our childhood home, 615 Pioneer Road. I opened it up. And in one click, it was like this flood of memories from my childhood came screaming back. Anybody done this before? Every picture tells a, a different story, right? Like to anyone else, it's just a property for sale online. But for me, it was like finding the movie reel of my life. My first swipe was the picture of our front yard. And when it came to summer, we, we lived in that yard with water fights, pickup soccer games, basketball, Baseball, bikes, scooters, that grass didn't stand a chance. We'd take the scrap wood from, from dad's garage and we'd build these jumps in the highway as big as we could and then we'd play rock, paper, scissors to see who could make the first attempt. And I kid you not, you can't see it because they're half fake, but I'm still missing my two front teeth from that craziness. My next swipe took me to the picture of the living room and it's just an ordinary room but right in the middle of the, the room is the, and this wall is this faint square where the paint sheen is entirely different. Most people probably wouldn't even notice but me and that square, we go way back. One night I got really mad at my parents and I kicked that wall as hard as I could. No one told me at seven years old that drywall was made of plaster. And that was where I first learned basic home repair. <laughs> then I got to the picture of the dining room and I loved this room. No matter how busy life got, we always made time for dinner together. One of my favorite meals, hands down, was spaghetti and meatballs from mom. But here's the catch. Spaghetti and meatballs often came with green peas. Everybody hated mom's peas. One night my older brother got this brilliant idea to stuff him in his pocket. And his plan was to wait for dinner to end, take him out, throw him in the toilet, and be good to go. But when he stood up, he smashed them into his jeans. And so inevitably, he got caught. And still to this day, one of my favorite memories is watching my brother gag as he ate an entire pot of leftover peas. I could go on and on, and I'm sure you could with your memories too, but here's what I'm trying to say. 615 Pioneer Road was home. Through the ups and downs and the joys and sorrows, we wrecked that place, but it was home. You know, as I said, it's been months of prayer and listening and studying to God's word, and the elders of Spring Hill believe God is calling us to be a church to call home. And I'm so fired up about this mission or this vision statement, this new direction for our church, because if you think about it, throughout the pictures, this 
This is the distinct pattern. You can find home throughout. Just go back to the very beginning with me. Look at this concept of Adam and Eve. They're, they're given this home in the Garden of Eden, right? Their roommate was God himself walking in their midst, and yet by their own decision, Adam and Eve choose to rebel against the house rules. Sin invades the paradise that was supposed to be their eternal living room, and now something has to give. In my house growing up, muddy shoes were to be left outside because to wear dirt into the house would be to destroy the carpets and, and ruin our living space. The Garden of Eden had the same sort of principle. It was this holy place where Almighty God had manifest his presence. Sin wasn't allowed there. And Adam and Eve, in their choice to sin, they had no other choice but to now leave. And ever since then, humanity has been wandering from home. In fact, soon the entire world joined them in this endeavor of rebellion. And you'll remember as a result of the rampant evil that was all over the place, God sends a flood to cover the earth. And yet in his mercy, he then tells this man named Noah to build a houseboat. We know it as the ark. And he gives them a home. Life on the planet is spared and his creation now dwells there safe from the storm. And the flood subsides, right? And now we discover a man named Abraham. And in Genesis 15, God promises Abraham not only to preserve his lineage, but to give Abraham's offspring a new home. We know it as the promised land. So Abraham and Sarah have this child named Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah have this child named Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. We know them as the 12 tribes of Israel. But again, through a series of broken choices, God's people find themselves far, far from that promised place that was to be their home. You'll remember they were enslaved in Egypt. So God raises up a man named Moses now to set them free. And he tells the Israelites, he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And through Moses, God reminds them again of this promised land that is still for them place to go home. And yet, dang it, they choose to worship a golden calf instead. And not only that, but rather than entering into this promised land, they come to the border and they fear the people that are within instead of fearing God and they flee back into the wilderness. And by their own choice, they now wander there for 40 years. Think about that, an entire generation gone. And now comes this new generation that might not even remember. And so Moses reminds them yet again. Look at this in Deuteronomy 6. Look at this up on the screens. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and you are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord. We worship a homemaking God. Do you see that? So Moses comes to the end of his life and he hands the reins off to this man named Joshua. And Joshua finally leads Israel to conquer the promised land that God had given. And yet almost from the very moment that God's people crossed over, they start worshiping idols again. 
Joshua comes to the end of his life and he gives his last will and testament. It's our passage this morning. He tells Israel there is still a choice to be made here. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers worshiped. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it's incredible to me how time and time again, God intends to make a home for us, and yet like sheep who've gone astray, we're wandering somewhere out in the muddy pastures. And you ever noticed how much that concept of a homecoming is ingrained in our culture? Let's just go back to the picture of childhood memories for a minute. I think some of the most famous movies of our childhood are about coming home. Let me make my case. Look at this first one, The Wizard of Oz. The entire story is about a young girl who taps her feet together with this longing to go back to what was. She says, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. Homeward Bound, the, the title says it all. Two dogs and a cat, right? Remember that? Believing their owner left them behind, so now they try desperately to get back home again. Finding Nemo. Nemo. We all know this story, but just think about this. It's a fish who gets taken away because he chose to rebel against his father, and what happens? His father falls into the ends of the seas in his love and pursuit of him. Or how about Frozen? I can talk about this movie because I have two girls, right? <laughs> Elsa has to leave her own palace because inside is this darkness that when it gets unleashed, it harms people. And so the entire plot is about restoring a broken relationship in a torn up home. I think we all bring these different ideas about what home is or what it looks like or what it feels like. And some of us certainly bring happy memories from our home life. Some of us bring baggage, though, to that word. We might not even want to hear it. But when you think about the essence of home, what home is supposed to be, everyone wants to be there, do they not? William Shakespeare once said, people are usually happiest at home. Laura Ingalls Wilder said, home is the nicest word there is. I love how one anonymous author put it. She said, home is where I can lose the makeup and no one cares. Isn't that true? And yet this idea of home is God's idea. It's the theme of the entire Bible of this plan for redemption and restoration from beginning to end, we encounter a homemaking God whose plan is to bring us again back home to him. There's a story not that long ago on NPR about his father and his, his homeless son. The father's name was Frank. And Frank loved his son with every fiber of his beings, but he'd be watched as his son fell into this lifelong battle of heroin addiction. It wasn't one choice, it was a series of choices that had tore the family apart. But Frank wanted his son to be home so badly that he decided he'd have to bring home to him and he planned to be homeless. Frank began making phone calls to track down the whereabouts of his boy and he learned he was on the streets in Denver, Colorado. So he boarded a plane from San Francisco where he lived and with the help of a local pastor, he found his son standing in line at the local soup kitchen. Look at what he said. He said, my son had no idea that I was walking towards him. I can see that he can't stand up without the support of a building. 
He appeared drunk to most, but to his dad, though, I know from past experience, sadly, he's on a heroin heavy. I go up to him. He starts to turn his back on me. I don't even care. I just grab him and squeeze him as hard as I can. For that entire week, Frank lived on the streets with his son. He'd wander the park benches with him during the day. He'd follow behind him on the banks of the river all night long. The NPR reporter asked him, she said, what makes you go to such extremes to be with your child? He said, I went to be homeless to show my son how much we loved him. Now just consider this theme again of the story of God's people. God gave Adam and Eve a home. They rebelled. God gave Noah a home, the ark, soon after humanity rebelled again. God made a guarantee to Abraham, a, a new home called the promised land. And yet time and time again, Abraham's descendants choose to wander instead. They rebelled against the prophets. They demanded a king. Then their kings rebelled too. And once more, God's people now end up in captivity and slavery, occupied by foreign rulers, known this time as the Babylonians. Far, far from the home that God had brought them. So what does God do? All hope seems lost, and God now comes to us. Father sends his one and only son, this Christ child comes to bring us home. And here's the irony. He's homeless. Remember that from the Christmas story? From the very beginning, there's no room for Jesus in the end. And this wasn't just the cradle, this was life. For Jesus, Matthew 8, 20, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. See, God's intention from the very beginning to the very end, whatever it took, was for you and I to be home. One of my favorite verses in all of God's word comes from John 14. If there's ever a memory verse, this is it. Look at this, what Jesus promises he says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus replied, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. We're a church to call home, where relationships flourish, generations connect, and neighbors are loved for the glory of God. I want to spend just the last few minutes of our time together clarifying what we mean by that. A lot of words written in there. We're just going to flesh that out over the next month or so. But this morning, when it comes to home, I want us to think about this. Um, first, we want to be a home that's habitually hospitable. Habitually hospitable. Just picture dinner at your house for a minute. This is the habit in our own homes. The, the first rule of being a good host is to make sure your guests know they're welcome, right? It starts with an invitation for them to come over. And then they do this thing where there's a, a hug at the door and then another encouragement to come in, come in. 
And it starts with, come on, take, take a seat. Can I get you something to drink? And then it continues with breaking bread together and eventually turns into doing life together. It's not good enough just to be hospitable. We want it to be a habit. So God gives us people this picture of Christ preparing a place for us where it starts with an invitation. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then after some time eating with Jesus at his table as we do with communion, he gives us this charge to go out and invite others to come home. A few months ago, my wife got a note on her car downtown in Bozeman. It said, and I quote, go back to Texas, Bozeman's full. Go back to Texas, Bozeman's full. And I thought, now wait a second. We've been here for over three years. I've got all my favorite fishing holes picked out. The licenses clearly say we're from Montana. How does this guy know we're from Texas? And after a short while of paranoia, Jen came home and I walked around the back of her car and I realized there's a dealer decal on the back of her car. And I kid you not, this friendly stranger took the time to Google the name of the dealership just so he could leave a personalized note. Wasn't that nice of him? <laughs> and it's funny, right? We are now the fastest growing micropolis in the country. And there's no end in sight. But I got to thinking, what if God is using Bozeman to bring people home? I mean, people come here without a friend in the world. I've met people. I've met them. They, they come here, they don't even have work. They're just coming here to live the dream, whatever the dream is. And if you think about it, many of us were brought here because we're looking for something. We're chasing after something. The mountains are calling, they say. They certainly are this morning. But it's so much deeper than that, right? Every new person in this town is looking to find home. So when we talk about a church to call home, the last thing we mean is the building. We mean the people. What if we were so habitually hospitable that on the sidewalks and in our parks and in the coffee shops and at work, we had the honor and the privilege of bringing newbies back into the fold? We want to be a church that's habitually hospitable. Second, we want to be a home that is a sanctuary. We want to be a safe place to worship God. Remember that quote about the woman who feels comfortable without makeup? Let's not take this too far. But just think about this. Here's the picture. No pretense. No pretext. By that I mean we want to be a church that builds authentic community. Authentic community in Christ where you can come here as you are and know that God meets you right in this place as you are. But here's the second part. Joshua said these key words to choose this day whom you will serve. And I think it's in serving the Lord that we find home. You know, if you're to get a bunch of people and put them around an empty table and tell them to create community, maybe think like a jury, it's probably not gonna end right, right? It's probably gonna be more of a grind, like, you can't just snap your fingers and make that happen. But if you get a bunch of people around a ministry opportunity, serving the Lord together and worshiping and doing the life together, you create a place to belong. And I hear so many stories in our church, it's kind of funny, close friends who, let's face it, we'd have little in common, maybe nothing in common, if it weren't for Christ. 
Praise God for that. Home is a sanctuary, a safe place where we can be real. We want to be a church that leaves margin for people to do that. To, to come as you are and serve this incredible God and worship him and know that God loves you enough to welcome you in this place, but also not leave you as you came. And that leads me to point three, that a home is where lives are transformed, period. There's a story about two construction workers who were building a new home. They fell into this deep pit on the work site. And one of them just began to full-on panic. He said, man, you've got to get me out of here. This isn't going to end well. The walls are caving in. The other one looked at him and he said, how am I going to pull that off? I'm at the bottom of the pit with you. And they tried everything. They tried to climb out, and of course that didn't work. One got down on a knee and tried to hoist the other up. That failed miserably. The other one got on the other's shoulders, and he squatted down and jumped to try to leapfrog him out. Every effort was a failure. They were both stuck at the bottom of a hole. So the next day, in pure exhaustion, they heard this familiar voice. It was the foreman. He yelled out to both of them. He said, here, grab this rope. The other man on the work site was the only man who could save his friends because he hadn't fallen in the pit. There's really only one foreman in this church. This is where I'm going with this. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its laborers build in vain. So we believe Spring Hill to be a, a church where all of us have fallen into this pit called sin. And we're just trying to lead others to the one who can pull us out by his mercy and grace. In fact, our elders have named that a core value. We are a broken people restored by Christ. So Jesus goes to prepare a place for us, right? And despite the world's rejection of him, and despite the fact that they spit on him and beat him, hung him on a cross, he says if you have faith in him, you've got this promise to come home again. So let me make this really practical. Let me just land the plane and show you some sprouts that are already taking root in this church. Today we already watched Nicole's presentation about life groups. And we're serious about this. These are gonna uh, continue throughout the life of our church. We're gonna keep pushing this uh, together because what is a better setup than creating hospitality in our own homes with neighbors and friends? We're gonna hear from Scott Smith today. Uh, Scott's out at our legacy site with one of the longest running ministries at Spring Hill, Mountain View Care Center, where we literally bring the sanctuary into that nursing home every week. Our team has stories upon stories of lives saved, literally, and transformed. Think about this. One of the newest and fastest growing sprouts of this vision is our new prison ministry, led by John Grossenbacher. Men and women whose home is, think about this, cement and iron, who are begging to come back home, and they can't, so we bring home to them. And that's really just three examples of what this looks like. You know, someone said, a church to call home, does that mean you're gonna put a homeless shelter in? Maybe. Well, what about a daycare? Sure, that's a home for kids. The, the options now are endless as the elders continue to pray about and discern where God is calling us. We're just getting started. But I'll tell you this, this is my confirmation. We had a visitor just a few weeks ago, long before we began sharing the preview of this vision, she walked up to me just after worship, standing right there, and she took my hand, and with tears in her eyes, she said, I can't explain it, but I finally found my family, 
and I'm home. A habitually hospitable sanctuary where lives are transformed. We are a church to call home. Let's ask God to continue bringing those words to life. Let's pray.